You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in to your Georgetown preview on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard, this is the only place to get daily Syracuse podcasts. If you're new to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. You'll get fresh orange content in your feed every single morning, Monday through Friday. Also, check us out on Twitter, at LO underscore Syracuse. And Tim, it is, uh, are, are we calling this a rivalry still? Like It's still a the, rivalry. People want to know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, you know how I feel. You well, know how I feel. When these two teams are playing the way they have, it, it feels like it's just not the same, to me at least. I mean, I think of Georgetown Syracuse, I think of the two of the top programs in the respective conference, the Big East at the time. Now I look at a Georgetown team that's 3-7, and seven, and I look at a Syracuse team that's coming off a dud to Pittsburgh. I think anyone objectively would tell you Syracuse is in a much better spot than the Georgetown program, but still, oh, it's, no doubt. Mm-hmm. it's tough to get too hyped about the nostalgia of the time periods before because both these programs aren't really exactly happy with where they are right now. Can I kind of lay out the case why this game in particular is not a rivalry type game before we get into anything Georgetown here? Sure. All right, let, let me just start with this. First of all, this isn't like, you know how they say in, in rivalry games, you throw out the records and all that stuff. That's not what this game is anymore. It, it really isn't because especially this one, you're not going to have any fans in the stands. I feel like it's the fans really that hate each other more than the actual players and, and even the coach. I won't speak for Bayheim, but... I feel like he has a respect for for Patrick Ewing. And, and listen, he had a respect for John Thompson, of course, as well. But it just doesn't feel the same, especially because Beheim coached against Patrick Ewing while Ewing was a player. Like, that just feels weird. And I feel like that almost removes all sense of the rivalry. And then on top of that, I mean, you know, I've brought up this a, a number of times. The, the Tyus Battle Instagram post, the post that, yeah. that killed the rivalry... <laughs> When he shouts out Jagan Mosley, who was playing for Georgetown at the time, told everyone on his Twitter or on his uh, Instagram timeline to go follow follow him because he plays for Georgetown and he later claims that he got hacked, but I don't know if he got hacked. I don't think he got hacked. If I'm a hacker, that's probably not the first thing I'm posting on Tyus Battles uh, on his Instagram page. So it just, this isn't the same thing. And I mean, part of the... The reason why this was a rivalry when they were back in the Big East is because there's that familiarity aspect. And I get that they play each other every year, but are we going to call Cornell a rival? Are we going to call NC State a rival? It's still like, their biggest rival, though, right? Like, for Syracuse. But does this does this game, I mean, let, let's say both of these teams were 7-3 were and three right now. Does this game feel like it would have any juice to it? No, it, it doesn't. It, it, the rivalry is not there anymore. Well... I don't think I'm as far out on it as you are, and maybe I'm just clinging to it a little bit too much, perhaps. I will say this, though. The games have been close, and the games have been exciting, even when they've been outside of the same conference. I mean, they had that Tyus Battle game winner. They had the Frank Howard. I'm I'm thinking of the good Syracuse moments, but even last year was a high-scoring, fun game that they lost, and that was a pretty bad effort from Syracuse. But all these games have still been relatively close, and... There's a weird part of me that still expects this game to be closer than normal just because it is Syracuse-Georgetown. And I don't think it's like 
Oh, throw out the record books because that's kind of just a silly expression that I don't really buy too much anyway. But when Georgetown is playing Syracuse, there's a little more to it than just some other non-conference game. Can I say this? I think rivalries in sports in general are kind of dead. I think the only rivalries that You're exist coming out hot. Are, I like it. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> I think the only rivalries now in sports that exist are any of the AFC North matchups in football. I think that is the, the last standing rivalries in, in, in major pro sports. I think any crosstown rivalry you have, like Yankees, Mets, or, or Cubs, White Sox, Dodgers, and, and uh, Angels, that stuff's all dead. Um, and then I think there are select college rivalries that still stand. I think anyone against Notre Dame, like any of the big Notre Dame rivalries still stand. Because UNC I Duke. Feel like people, yeah, UNC Duke. I feel like people love to hate on Notre Dame. So I'll, I'll give Notre Dame all the rivalries that they have with like Michigan and USC and all that stuff. But outside of that, I, I really think we're, we're at a point where rivalries are dead. Everyone's too buddy, buddy now. I mean, if the question we have to... So this question comes up every time they play Georgetown. It's always a topic. It's going to be a topic again this weekend is, is it still a rivalry? What do you think of the, the state of this rivalry between Georgetown and Syracuse? If you have to ask that question each year, it's not a rivalry. If it was a true rivalry, we wouldn't be asking it. But I do think it's still like more has more rivalry tendencies, if I can use that, than any other game on Syracuse's schedule this year. And maybe God, some of the old people too, listening but... right now are so pissed at us. Yeah. Everyone is pissed at us. But and, I and think I even what? I they care. would admit that it's not the same. And oh, it's not that's the same. all I'm yeah. saying. Like, is... What did Bayheim say a couple years ago? I think it was after the Tyus Battle game. It was this game is. He used some like bomb expression for it. Um, but like he, he basically said this is not what it used to be. And like I don't think they're 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 playing Requiem for the Big East in uh in the the film sessions leading up to this game. No, but to the old people listening that have already been furious at the first seven eight minutes of this podcast, if I was one of you, and I'm sorry to call you old, but that's just <laughs> this is the era difference here. But if I was one of you, then we're we're on a, a an attack on the olds right here. Yeah, we really are, and and we've already we've already lost hat all our listeners already before we can even preview this matchup. But I would say to them, I would probably be the same way, and I still am. Like I still really want it to be a rivalry. I'm trying as hard as possible. It's just they don't play in the same conference. Like that takes so much out of it when you can't meet in the Big East tourney anymore or that type of game. But anyway, I think we've dedicated enough time to the this question that comes up every single year, and we'll talk about it again next year probably. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, this game largely is inconsequential, especially this season. And, and don't get well, me wrong. I don't wrong. know. That's I mean, not, if they lose, that's not. That, that's well, no, that's bad. what I was going to say is if they lose this game, that's bad. That is really bad because Georgetown is not good this season. When you look at Syracuse's uh, non-con opponents, I mean, Georgetown is, I guess, technically the, uh, aside from Rutgers, but Georgetown is technically the second best, but they're right in the neighborhood of Buffalo. They're hovering around the ranking of Boston College. Like, this is not a good Georgetown team. They're ranked 108 in Ken Palm right now. And I'm just going to say this. I think the team that kind of treats this like a rivalry game is going to be the team that loses. If you get too caught up in the history and the nostalgia of this matchup, I think you're going to lose this game because you're going to be just overthinking it. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, 
I, I can't really get behind that. I, why, why would they, why would that be a bad thing to be jacked up for the game? Well, I don't think it's a, a jacked up sort of thing. I think you get like, I don't think that playing a certain opponent jacks you up more than another. I, I think maybe like the, the Duke UNC, maybe I don't know. I think even up, like, like John Wallace but these, would say that he got jacked up more for Georgetown. I, I would say, yeah, I but that's when this was a rivalry. That's when this was a rivalry. That's when rivalries were alive. Yeah, but you were saying, I don't think you get jacked up for a certain op- opponent more than another. So, like, in general or just in this specific no, game? I'm no, saying, I'm saying in, in these times now. Oh, okay. Like we, again, like I'm saying, the, the rivalry era of, of sports is almost dead. See, I, I, I can't get it, into it is that the take. AFC North. <laughs> it is it is the, the, the Duke-UNC. It is a couple of college football things. I'll throw Yankees-Red Sox out there, too. Yeah, I just, I mean, rivalries are still alive more than you think, I think. But anyway, let, let's talk about Georgetown. We've talked enough about that silly rivalry question. Okay, so so Georgetown, not good this year. I, I, I don't think we need to sugarcoat it. They're 1-5 right now in the Big East. Their only win came in overtime against St. John's, a team that is not very good. Their, win, their Ken Palm ranking wins this year. They opened it up with a win against 197 UMBC. They beat 336 Coppin State, and they beat 92 George or St. John's. The wins, <laughs> I mean, for a team to be three and seven and a power five, I get that you're playing mostly your your conference this season, but it, it is tough sledding for Georgetown right now. They they've had a number of guys leave the program. Obviously, Mac McClung is probably the most notable to to depart from the program in the past year, but. There's just not a lot going for this Georgetown team. They play a pretty sloppy brand of basketball. They don't take care of the ball. And they're just, I mean, they are bottom feeders in what is a weak Big East this year. Yeah, they've kind of had a Syracuse football-like fall. Now, it's not to the degree. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, no. Let me me lay out my whole case here before you jump to conclusions. It's not as bad as Syracuse football is right now. But the way that Patrick Ewing, in year three, you go back to last year, they beat Texas at Madison Square Garden at a neutral site. They challenged Duke the night after that, or maybe two nights after, whatever it was. That was year three of Patrick Ewing, and they had made incremental progress each year, kind of like Dino Babers to start his Syracuse sort of tenure. And, of course, it's similar because it's like historic program, trying to get back to the top of their conference, etc. And there were a lot of there was a lot of optimism around the program at that time. Like when they beat Syracuse last year, they had several quad one wins. They went on the road, beat Oklahoma State when we thought they were good. They beat SMU. They were looking good. And then all of a sudden, and it really was lining up for them to kind of officially be back this year because they had Mac McClung. They had Jacob Mosley, Tyus Battles, brother or best friend, whatever you want to call it. James Akinjo was there. But then all these scandals happen, and they just really went from this super deep team to trying to get five or six guys on the court at once. And to kind of put this all in perspective, Javon Blair, last year when they won that game against Texas in Madison Square Garden, which was a huge win for them, kind of Patrick Ewing's first huge win and kind of a valid, like just a big win for where they were at as a program at that point. Optimism was high. Javon Blair didn't play a minute in that game against Texas last year. He's going to play basically every single minute against Syracuse, and he's their leading scorer at 18 points a game. So they have really been depleted roster-wise, and now it's like, how hot is Patrick Ewing's seed? And that's the type of conversation they're having. 
All right, real quick, got to tell you about the only place that has you covered and the only place we trust to get your weekend wagers in. That's right, it's betonline.ag. You can sign up for an account today at betonline.ag and use our promo code Locked On. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus. Listen, you've got the NFL playoffs this weekend. I mean, need I say more, but guess what? There is more because there's college basketball, of course, the Syracuse-Georgetown game that we're previewing right now. Yeah, you can get in on that action. Then also the college football championship right around the corner. That's coming up on Monday. So don't wait. Go to betonline.ag. You can't sit on the sidelines anymore with this stuff. Get in on this action. Don't forget to use our promo code as well, Locked On, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. You put in $100, you're going to get 50 on the house. And with all the action that you can get in on right now, there's no reason to not sign up at betonline.ag. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Getting into the nitty-gritty of this Georgetown roster here. I mean, you look at it, and it looks like they have one guy who can kind of do a certain thing. For it. it almost feels like an assembly line team, where each person has a sort of job that they are good at. But aside from that job, they don't really do much out there. I mean, I look at a guy like Donald Carey. He's going to be your three-point shooter. No one else on the team can really shoot the three ball. You've got Quadis Wahab, a name that Syracuse fans are very familiar with because of the, the recruiting venture that he was on. He's a really good rebounder for this team. He's a pretty good shot blocker. But outside of that, he's not going to do a whole lot for you. Um, and, and then obviously Javon Blair, he, he's a guy who is, like you said, is going to play pretty much every single minute in this game. But it almost feels like that assembly line kind of team. And they don't have a ton of depth on this team too. When you look at the guys who are, are going to be playing in this game, I mean, if we thought Syracuse was running with thin benches the last couple of seasons, it would not surprise me if Georgetown only plays seven guys in this game, maybe even six guys, because they, they just don't have the depth to this team. And, and there are there are some injuries associated with that as well. But to me right now, this Georgetown team just, they don't have that juice. They don't For a team like Georgetown, you should have better players on this team. And, yeah. and that just kind of goes to the state of the program right now. No doubt, but I'll say this. It sounds like you've, you've kind of just been like, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty down on their chances of winning, Georgetown's chances of winning. Is that correct? Yeah. I I can kind of see a way where they win this game because they do kind of match up well against Syracuse. I'm going to pick Syracuse, and that's because— I don't it, think they match up well. I think that Syracuse plays to the competition. Like, if Syracuse makes us a close game, it's because— they play to the competition, and we've seen that a number of times this year with like the Bryant game, the Northeastern game, the the Buffalo game. Like they play to the competition, the Pitt game that that they're coming off of right now. They play. They like to hang with some bad teams, and I don't think it's going to be a matchup thing per se with Georgetown because I I don't necessarily think that that Georgetown matches up that well with Syracuse, especially at the rate that they turn the ball over. Because this is a team right now that is not forcing turnovers. They're outside the top 330 in forcing them. And then they're outside the top 270 in, in committing them. So they they give away the ball and they don't take away the ball. And to me, that is not a, a recipe that bodes well against Syracuse. Yeah, but I do think Kudus Wahab is literally, if you look up matchup nightmare for Syracuse in the dictionary, it's him. He's one of the best rebounders in the country and he's one of the best shot blockers in the country. And I don't even think that's hyperbole. Now, he's not... A, he's not going to like wow you with post moves or something. He basically just catches the ball and dunks, and that's about all he can do on the offensive end. But he's going to get so many offensive rebounds in this game if they play any bit like they have, and if history 
sort of lends itself to what we've seen from Syracuse in the past five years now. Like, he's going to be down there getting offensive rebounds and getting easy putbacks, just like Terrell Brown and the rest of the Pittsburgh crew was. And that scares me a lot. And also, Javarko Pickett, he's also a great rebounder. 8.7 rebounds per game. So they have height. They're the 31st tallest team in the entire nation. And they also have just, like, size to them as well. It's not just, like, skinny rails like some of the Syracuse guys are. And they can shoot the three a little bit. Now, I'm not saying they're like bullseye from three, but a lot of their production comes from beyond the three-point field goal range. And that's at 36% of their scoring production right now comes from three-point range. That's 50th in the nation, that mark, in terms of 36%. So that's a pretty high clip. So they're used to shooting a lot of threes. And they've also just played way more games than Syracuse. They played 10 games. They're at a point now where they played Wednesday night as well, against Butler they lost that game but they played earlier in the week they've been practicing like they're at a point now where they know their team more than Syracuse knows their team and that's because Syracuse just came off a pause and they came out and looked really rusty and didn't know what the heck they were doing on offense I I, yes they've played a lot of games but they've also lost a lot of games they're not good oh a lot of them haven't been particularly close but is Syracuse good like (laughs) TBD I mean they're better than this team they that, are like, better, and, yes, but I'm not saying this is going to be some cakewalk. Like, I think this is a pretty close game when it's all said and done. And if they play like they did against Pitt, I mean, if they play like they did against Pitt in the second half, forget about it. Like, I think Georgetown but is... But if a, they play like they did against Pitt in the first half, this game won't be close. I don't know. I mean, they <laughs> Pitt still scored 45 on them in the second half. So like, No, but I'm saying if they play against Georgetown like they played against Pitt in the first half, this game won't be close. Yeah, but are they, like, at this point, I think it's fair to question, is Syracuse good? Based on their body of work. They have beat, like, no one so far. The only team they've beaten is BC, and that was a great win. Like, the when I say that, the reason why I acknowledge it is because they just blew them out of the building. But outside of that, they played a pretty good game against Rutgers that has held up pretty well on the road without Sidibe. I think they actually held yeah. the road and without buddy too i mean that, yeah that's a 10 point loss but that's not a 10 point loss that's like a four point loss exactly but i mean as i talked about last game yes you lose to Pitt, but it just felt like law of averages like northeastern buffalo bryant and now Pitt have all hung with syracuse so why wouldn't georgetown hang with syracuse i think georgetown's better than Pitt. i think they're better than oh you think georgetown's better out. than Pitt? Uh, dude, the way Pitt was constructed off a pause with out three of their best front court players, yes. And I, I think a lot of the first half wasn't even necessarily Syracuse played great. It was Pitt was terrible in the first half, and then Syracuse was playing really bad in the second half, and Pitt caught up and got some momentum, and then we know what happened from there. I don't think Georgetown's better than Pitt. I mean, you, I don't know. There might be one player on Georgetown that would actually start on Pitt. Maybe two. Like, there are a lot of really, really suspect players on this Georgetown team that there's a reason why they're 3-7. and seven. Power 5 teams should not be 3-7. and seven. Exactly, but they also have a 6-9 power forward in Jamarco Pickett, who's a senior, who's going to get rebounds in this game, and Kuda Swahab, who's going to get rebounds in this game and get putbacks. Like, if Syracuse gets in—if Quincy gets in foul trouble— it's going to be the same thing as Pitt again. I mean, we've seen this I mean, as long enough. As, as long as Ted Valentine's not officiating this game, I, I don't think that Quincy's going to get in foul trouble per se. Well, I mean, history says that Quincy will get in foul trouble more times than not 
so far in his career. That's just the nature of it. Like he got in foul trouble a ton. He hasn't last really year. gotten in foul trouble this year, though. Yeah, but again, he's been it's pretty smart a small, about it. A small sample of work, and it's a lot of teams that aren't ever going to get Quincy in foul trouble. This team could get him in foul trouble. I, I don't. I don't think I'm not too concerned about Quincy getting in foul trouble in this game. I, also, if Sadibe is back in this game, and I think there's a pretty decent chance yeah. that he is, um, I, I think that helps this team a lot on the interior. Listen, because like Quadis, like we said, he he's a great rebounder, but he's not going to do much else. Like, sure, he's going to block shots, but how valuable is blocking shots against Syracuse? A team that prides itself on the three-pointer. I, I'm not too worried about the interior presence defensively that Georgetown may present. So um, we do have some numbers to get for you because Anthony DeBundo likes to check in every single time we do a preview. So DeBundo's digits, let's get to it. The numbers you need to know. Anthony DeBundo breaks down the biggest stats for this week's Syracuse matchup. DeBundo's digits. If you ain't taking stats, stick the f- out the class. On the Locked On Syracuse podcast. I'll just Where you at? Let's go. The 96th ever meeting between Syracuse and Georgetown is almost here as the Orange lead the all-time series with the Hoyas 51-44. Before we get into the Hoyas, I want to highlight some Syracuse stuff and just how troubling the three-point shooting is. Alan Griffin shot 43.6% at Illinois last year. He's down to 36.8% this year. Joe Girard has dipped from 32.3 to 31.7, and the biggest drop-off by far has come from Buddy Beheim. Beheim hit threes at a 37% clip. The junior is hitting at just 24.3%. These numbers are all going in the wrong direction for a Syracuse offense trying to replace their leading scorer. And just how bad was SU's collapse against Pittsburgh on Wednesday? Per Ken Palm, only seven teams, seven, had larger in-game comebacks in all of college basketball this year than Pitt, who trailed by 16 with 11 minutes to play. Their win probability was as low as 1.6% at that point. And now, finally, on to Georgetown. This is not your father's Georgetown. The Hoyas haven't finished outside the top 100 in efficiency since the site, Ken Palm, began tracking data in 2002. Yet they currently rank number 108, and all four of the Hoyas' leading scorers from last season's win over the Orange are not back with the program. They have major turnover issues. They don't create many, ranking 334th in turnover forced, and they also turn the ball over far too much, with 22% of possessions ending in a turnover offensively. When they are able to avoid turnovers, though, the Hoyas have been able to be competitive with some of the nation's top teams. They led Villanova, who's number three in the country, by double digits at half, and were competitive down the stretch against number 14 West Virginia before falling apart in the game's final moments. To date, the Hoyas are 1-6 against Ken Palm top 100 teams and 3-7 and overall. And while the Hoyas are decent at three-point shooting, ranking just outside the top 100 in the metric, they are not good offensively on the interior. The Orange may struggle to cope with center Kudis Wahab on the offensive and defensive glass. He's an excellent rebounder and was actually recruited closely by Syracuse before choosing the Hoyas in the end. The Hoyas are still pretty experienced despite the roster turnover, ranking number 45 in total experience and have multiple key seniors in Javon Blair and Jamorco Pickett, who are key contributors on offense. And defensively, the Hoyas only have one regular player shooting above 36% from three-point range, and that's going to be a key focus for the Orange. It's senior Donald Carey. He made 42.6% of his three-point attempts so far this season, 20 of 47 for the year, and the Orange's zone will need to know where he is because the risk of losing him could lead to easy threes for the Hoyas. 
He's only attempted 32 two-pointers compared to 47 threes, so he will spend most of his time camped beyond the arc. And according to Ken Palm, Syracuse has an 84% chance to win the game by a projected score of 78-67. The two main predictive models, including Bart Torvik, see the game almost exactly the same with the exact same percentage and final score. But if anybody can predict what the Syracuse offense is going to do on any given game, I'd like to have their lottery numbers for that night as well. They've been a tough team to predict, but they do need a win to avoid falling out of the current NCAA tournament bubble. All right, thanks to Anthony DeBundo as always. You can check out his work on the Daily Orange, and you also can follow him on Twitter, at Anthony DeBundo. You know, I knew he was going to bring up that Villanova game because I know he laid some coin on that one, and I know he was on the losing side, and that's why he he was so fresh in his mind with it that, oh, Georgetown had a double-digit lead at halftime. <laughs> so uh, I, I knew he was going to bring that one up. Um, anyway, we will get to some more picks here in a second because we've got the prop shop and we've got all of our hypothetical plays as well as our picks for the spread as well as the total. So that is coming up next. All right, time for our favorite part of every single preview show. It is time for the prop shop and Tim. You smoked me last week, or yeah, I guess earlier in the week. <laughs> one in, what is that, a one in five record for me, and of course a lot of this is contingent on Sidibe, and we each got a cheap win on this one with the, the Sidibe under 20 minutes, Yep. but the, the fact that he did not play in this game at all killed me on the starting lineup, so I guess we'll never know how that would have shook out. I guess we, we might find out in this Georgetown game. Um... But and then of course we we lose on our spread pick. The you hit on the total. You thought it was going to be a rusty game, and you were right on that one. But let, let's get into this week now, okay? Because Georgetown, again, the the burning question for all Q's fans right now is: Will Barama Sidibe play in this game? And he's been practicing a lot, and I think that's the encouraging part of everything so far. So to me, this kind of feels like a no-brainer. Sidibe, he was battling a little soreness on that that day of the game, and he was going to be a game-time decision in that one. But I think the fact that it was a soreness as opposed to an injury is something that is promising, and that's why I think he is going to play in this game against Georgetown. I'm going to say no. I have no interior like knowledge here or anything like that. I... This is just gut. I feel like he really wasn't that close to playing the other day. And if you weren't going to play him in that game, then you might just not be playing him in this game either. And the soreness was a little concerning to hear that news. So I'm just going to say no. That's just a 50-50 coin toss for me, though. Uh, I think soreness is one of those things. I'd rather a guy be sore than than feeling some effects of, of a surgery or an injury. So we'll, we'll see. Um, next up, we've got who's going to play close the game at point guard and again i think this is kind of contingent on the score and the situation so how are we defining this like when the horn sounds who's at point guard or is it situationally who's going to get the bulk of the minutes down the final five minutes let's do this if it's a blowout we'll just go with who played more minutes at point guard and if it's Mm -hmm. actually like crunch time they need to go to a lineup and it's decently close and they're opting for one guy over the other we'll just lean with that that makes sense what if it's a, a situational thing? Like, they want Gerard in to shoot free throws. Oh, I, I would end. say just, like, consensus. Because, like, we know if if we wanted to put a free throw lineup out there, Gerard's in over Kadari. Right. I wouldn't say when the horn sounds, but just, like, more who was Beheim riding at the point guard spot more down the stretch? Because he's probably just going to go with one okay. guy. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I'm going to go with Gerard in this one because he's a guy who's played in this game before. And I think that Kadari, like they're going to want him for defense. And and I I do think that Gerard is going to be out there because of the fact that I don't think this is going to be particularly close down the stretch. So give me Gerard's going to be out there. Um, more so than at least by the criteria that we're setting, Gerard's yeah. going to be out there more often down the stretch. Yeah, I'm going to go with Gerard too. I I kind of am hoping for Kadari, especially if Gerard's cold. Are we again, hedging but, our life right now with this pick? Yeah, a little bit because I kind of just want this whole question to be over with, and I want to know, like, I want Kadari to be the guy ultimately. But there's just still a threat that when we're when we think Joe's down and out, he's going to give us a good game, and I can't really get rid of that. Much like he did in that other game, I think it was BC where he just sort of broke free. Like, and if that happens, then Beheim will take any sort of chance he can to ride with Joe. So just because I know who the head coach is and he's the one making the decision, I'm going to go with Joe. All right, next up we've got the sniper from last game, Robert <laughs> yeah. Braswell. How many minutes is he going to play in this one? We're setting the total at five and a half. We're essentially saying, how is he going to play? I yeah. feel like is the pick that we're making here. So the number is five and a half. I'll let you go first because I feel like I need a second to think about this one. So knowing, I'm going to stick with my take that Sidibe is not playing, which is dangerous because I'm kind of doubling down. But going along that thought process, then I think there is minutes to be had for Robert Bressel, especially the way that he played last game. I feel like he'll get some spot minutes. So I'm going to say slightly over for him. And I, I'm i a little tempted because the way that Beheim addressed in the press conference after the game, he was basically saying, like, yeah, he just didn't play because Woody wasn't totally there conditioning-wise. And there's also a chance Sidibe plays, which kind of eliminates the possibility of playing Sidibe, Braswell, and Newton. Like, then you're getting to nine guys, right. which is out of character. So I'll still say yes slightly, though. You know, it's really hard to bench him after the performance he he put up last game. To me, I'm going to go under here, and here's why. I don't think he's repeating what he did last game, and this could be one of the things where this could be a game where he plays three minutes, and he comes out, maybe shoots a couple threes, regresses back to what he's been earlier in the season, and gets a quick hook. I think that's what we might see out out of Robert Braswell in this game, so... Give me the under on five and a half. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that too. I'm really hoping it's not the case though. I hope that that was a breakthrough for him for real. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd be nice to have a, what, a ninth piece to this team that really make Jim's decision-making really tough with the lineups. It, it's already a super tough thing for him to craft these lineups game to game. And uh, listen, if this team has a lot of success and Jim's finding the right rotations, it's going to be one of his better coaching jobs it, it, just because he is managing A, through a pandemic, and B, the de- it, it, people think like having depth makes it easy on a coach. I almost think it makes it tougher. Yeah. Especially when you're always no... going to have to answer questions and stuff like that. It's it's tough. Yeah. There's no clear cut guys with this team, too. Like we laid out the case. That's true. Yeah. The six start. There's six starters, basically. And you could even throw Kadari in there if you really wanted to. There's seven really capable players that could be just as good as anyone else on the roster on any given night. Once you include Sidibe in that mix. No. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right. 
Next up, we got here, who will lead Syracuse in scoring? We've got Alan Griffin, plus 110, Quincy, plus 130, Buddy, plus 170, the struggling Buddy Beheim, might I add, uh, Joe Girard, plus 200, Dolajai, plus 220, Kadari, plus 300, and Sidibe, plus 375. So I was going to take Quincy, but Buddy's kind of calling my name right now at plus 170. Just from the odds perspective, I do think he's kind of due for a bounce back game when DeBunda laid out that number 23% from three so far. It sort of hit me in the face like, wow, like that, that's been really bad. It's a smaller sample size than most, of course, but you got to think that he finds his shot a little bit and he'll be hungry after now it's getting to the point where people are talking about how bad he's been playing so far this year. Yeah, uh, but we, we uh, like the buddy odds are solid. I, I think that is the odds play. But I'm going to go with the play here that, I mean, there's no reason for me to not ride Griffin, I feel like. And because Gri- Griffin's scoring-wise has been solid pretty much every single game, and, and he's in the contention. I get that he's the worst odds on the board here, but I think there's a reason for that. He's a steady scorer. He can heat up at times. If he's not finding his shot early in the game, he can discover different ways to score in the second half. So I'm going to take Alan Griffin here in this one. All right. Next up, we got Ken Palm, who is posting uh, or posting a, a score projection here at 78 to 67. Now, there's no line as of us recording this on betonline.ag, but you can find that line probably closer to Saturday, maybe Friday night you'll get that line. So right now, Ken Palm's got this as an 11-point Syracuse win. Do you think he is being too modest or is he getting a little over his skis in this projection? I would say that it's pretty spot on, but I do think there's a chance this game is close, like I laid out earlier. I still have the worries about the front court that Georgetown has as a whole. So I would lean more towards it's a closer game than 11 points if I had to to pick one side of this. And just because it, like we joked about earlier, it's Syracuse-Georgetown. Like these games are not quite to the throw out the record book standpoint or that sort of motif but I still think it's it plays a factor a little bit and I could see this game going down to the point where Bayheim is considering who he has to close the game with at point guard so I'd lean more that way and I I get why the line's high though because Georgetown has been just objectively bad like they're three and seven and you laid out their wins they're all crappy teams basically in St. John's one conference one right it what if I told you Sidibe is going to play in this game and he's going to play 25 minutes? That would change that my change thinking your a lot. Answer. Yeah, it would. Because I'm worried about Dolajai going against Wahab. And I'm worried about the rebounding if Quincy gets in foul trouble. Now, if Sidibe is in there, maybe he gets in foul trouble. But it seems less likely that he would be ready to play a full-scale minutes anyway. I don't think he would start even if he is ready to go and deemed right. Like, I just think he's still on sort of a minutes cap at best. But yeah, it would change my mindset totally. I think that's what they're really missing for a game like this because this is a really tough matchup just in terms of what Georgetown has size-wise and what they have rebounding-wise in the front court alone. Now, the rest of Georgetown's roster doesn't scare me at all. Like, they turn the ball over a ton. Yeah, none of the guards. Yeah, like, it's not a good roster, but any front court player scares me at this point. That's what I've come to watching Syracuse basketball for the past five years. Anyone that has any shred of athleticism and size and can get rebounds scares me in the front court. And that's the sad state of affairs that we're in right now. Yeah, that's fair. I, 
I'm not as worried about the front court. I, I think Syracuse, too, is going to look at some of the tape from that pick game and realize that can't happen again. And I think they might come out with a little more fire because of that. So I, I think Syracuse is going to win by more than 11 points in this game. And then by this approximate total, we'll set it at 145 here. Do you think it goes over or under that number? I'll say under slightly. I've been riding the unders this year, and I think they've been yeah. worked mostly. Worked. Yeah, I've been burned by by taking the over too much, so I'm, I'm going to go with the under here. It, it still feels like Syracuse's offense could struggle in this game. Yeah. I mean... And, and I mean, you want me to read you the, the past couple of, of point totals for, for Georgetown? 55, 60, 67. Yeah, I think so, I think it's definitely an under. That's a pretty high number that Kempom's yeah, throwing out there. Yeah, because... I mean, I've read that to you before when I was doing the math on that total that, that Ken Palm's projecting. I was like, ooh, 145 seems a little steep for a team like Georgetown and Syracuse who's coming off a pause and also hasn't played great, or is coming off a pretty bad game, at least, yeah. in, in the loss against Pitt. So, all right, that's going to do it for us here on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. We will have all your Georgetown reaction on Monday, as well as any other news that breaks over the weekend. So we'll get you all of that. Be sure to subscribe to the show. And you can also find us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. We'll be live tweeting throughout the game as well. So for Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Oh.